Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been the leader in waterfowl conservation with over 16 million acres of habitat conserved. DU supporters and volunteers have led the charge to fill the skies with waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. You too can play a role in leaving a legacy for the future of waterfowl hunting. To find an event near you or to join our volunteer team, go to www.ducks.org volunteer. Ducks Unlimited, conservation for a continent. Hello and welcome to the Standard Sportsman Podcast, where your hosts Brent Birch and Kaysen Short will discuss, debate, and detail trending topics within the sport of duck and goose hunting. Brent and Kaysen have over 80 years combined chasing ducks in Arkansas with a like-minded pursuit of leaving waterfowling better than they found it. Each week, you will hear impactful interviews and engaging guests guaranteed to make you a more informed and effective hunter-conservationist. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now, let us jump into today's show with the guys. Hey, everybody. Casey Short here with my co-host, Brent Birch, back with another episode of the Standard Sportsman. Uh, we are post-duck season now, Brent. It's officially over officially uh yeah it was officially up for me the the wednesday before it really ended uh had two really good hunts there after the thaw and decided i was i was good so uh, i know a few people chase it but i know a lot of ducks disappeared uh after the thaw too uh, it seemed like a lot of people were, were struggling to see the volume of ducks they saw before the ice um and i'm sure we, you know we also had a with between the melt off and and all the rain we got, I'm sure ducks found some new habitat, and that's why that nobody was seeing them because they went to places they hadn't been all season, where they could find food and refuge and everything else. Yeah, that's an interesting point, and one I don't know if we've made yet. But uh, in a low number year, bird wise, like we had, uh, a drought is oftentimes a a good thing as far as hunting is concerned because once you put a lot of water in the landscape, you spread very few birds over a lot of area, and, and it it takes a toll, but uh interesting i found this funny yesterday we were meeting with a private lands biologist riding around the farm looking at stuff we can do and you know had as many ducks as we've had all year so i, I guess maybe they are just now getting here <laughs> yeah 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 well that, I mean, that, that's, I, a, that's a joke for everybody who yes. can't see the smile <laughs> on my face yeah uh but i i have also heard that um some people did say their ducks came back uh, postseason. Now, part of that's, you know, we're not out there shooting at them. We're not out there riding buggies and boats and everything else disrupting them. So, th- I mean, that that lends to it, too. But you got ducks grouping up in the, you know, they, ducks don't move and like ones and twos don't go back to Canada. It's 100s, 200s, 1000s, mm-hmm. 2000s. So they're grouping back up to make that move. And so it all makes sense. And all the more reason we sure don't need to be hunting them in February. The Standard Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Waterfowl hunters deserve to have a set of waders that can excel year in and year out throughout the duration of the season. So Sika Gear set out to build the best pair of waders ever. Constructed from Gore-Tex Pro Laminate, the face fabric offers added durability and is breathable in active working conditions while completely sealing out the elements. Importantly, they proudly stand behind all of their Delta Zip wader features with their 100% serviceable guarantee. And I'm speaking from experience as I have sent my original pair of sickle waders from the 2018 season back twice without a hiccup. Engineered to outwork, outlast, and outhunt everything else in the market, the Delta Zip Waiter from Sika Gear is the gold standard for reliability. 
The Chatham jacket from Tom Beckby features a durable, weatherproof 8-ounce wax shelter cloth shell that develops a great-looking patina with use. I've actually worn this jacket the last couple of seasons and appreciate the shorter cut to it so it fits great inside my waders. It's also a really good weight for most Arkansas days of field. So if you'd like to mix a little vintage look with your technical gear waders, this is the jacket. You can find the jacket online at TomBeckby.com. You can also find it in their brick-and-mortar locations in Wilson, Arkansas, Birmingham, Alabama, and the new store in Oxford, Mississippi. Oh, yeah, they're they're paired up. We we know the science side of that. But the, the flip side to seeing them right now, and I think what a lot of people don't really get, or maybe they don't see it, is just how many ag fields are drained. I mean, our creek system is overflowing its banks right now because everyone's dumping water out of their fields. The habitat is going away quickly and they're having to congregate again, much like they congregated in the freeze when it all froze up. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. 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 A lot of people like to dump that water, get ready, drying, drying things out. But man, it's, it sure makes the ducks bunch up and, and limits where they can go and what they can do. Um, oh yeah. They know. act like we're going to plant rice tomorrow. That's not going <laughs> to happen though. <laughs> no. I'm sure somebody would try if they could, though. Oh, I guarantee it. So, sooner, that's sooner a big competition. That summer vacation. <laughs> well, yeah, the, I think the big competition in our part of the world is who can take that first truckload to the dryer. Yeah. Big ego contest. Doesn't matter if it's fifty percent <laughs> moisture or not. They're going to haul it in. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, another topic for another day. Yep. Well, why don't you tell everyone who we got today? We got a pretty cool guest on here. Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, this is a guy I met this past season uh, during the Wings Over the Prairie. He was in town. He's he's quite the man about the industry, um, not only what he does, but uh, you know some of the brands he's linked to and and uh, some of the connections he's made. But he he's a guy that uh, is, is well known in the dog world um, for some of the things he's done and 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 the brand he's built. Uh, not only you know, hands-on uh, with dogs, but uh, also the the virtual uh, training aspect that he's created with a with a piece that he's done. But yeah, today we've got Barton Ramsey with Southern Oak Kennels on the show. Barton, welcome. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, we've uh, we obviously got to, got to meet this past season. We we spec hunted at my farm uh, there on the invite of of Jeff White that was trying to play some of you guys that were in town. Uh, representing Sitka and, and of course, your own personal stuff uh, that you're working on. But, uh, yeah, when he offered that up, he said, man, we're going to have all these people in town. Do you mind taking some of them hunting? I said, ah, that'd be great. No problem. And then, you know, we had never met, but I knew who you were and and, and had even done some of the Cornerstone stuff, uh, you know, when my dog was pretty young and, and, and trying to get him – you know, acclimate once I got him back uh, from 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 the sure. guy I, I use and get my dogs from, but uh, familiar with the name. And then I I had seen, of course, we had Aaron Davis uh, with us, that uh, is a photographer that kind of tags along with you. Uh, had a great day in the in the blind. Didn't shoot a lot of speckle bellies, but had a great day visiting and have kept up with it, each other since. And then we had a, a remarkably good gadwall shoot <laughs> of all things. Oh, I told Aaron that it was difficult to do that so early in the season because I felt like it was a it was already a highlight. Uh, I've never ever. I mean, I've had one shoot locally where a guy said, "Do you want to come shoot some gadwalls?" and it was on a, a farm pond, but never in a slew of of I guess it was what cypress 
that well, was wild. Tupelo, big Tupelo yeah, swamp. Tupelo cipher. It was that yeah. was uh, that was unreal. <laughs> it, was, it was it was nuts. Great yeah. work for your dogs. It was. It was difficult. It was funny because we were trying to figure out how to get those stands to not <laughs> fall over in the mud down there. And uh, yeah, that was that was a lot. The, the photos from that, I'm sure you've seen them, were because it was kind of foggy and yeah, yeah, that was fun. Super, super cool scene, and you would never believe. I've talked about it on the show before. You would never believe that's ten minutes from downtown Little Rock. I mean, you can hear trucks coming down forty. Yeah, and and the, <laughs> the highway that runs north and south there. At, you know hitting the rumble strips as you're shooting gadwalls. That was, that was a blast. Really fun. Yeah, it definitely was. And it, what's interesting is, is, uh, Jared sent me some video of his place after the season, uh, or it was the last, I guess it was the last afternoon of the season. And it was remarkable how many ducks and not just gadwalls, how many ducks he had on, on his, his food plots and fields, uh, that had joined that Tupelo swamp. Uh, yeah nuts i mean nuts you think it you think he was in the heart of the grand prairie or in the heart of woodruff county somewhere and he was 10 minutes from downtown little rock yeah it's uh that's a special place it was a fun weekend honestly i i had not met you and uh you know Watt jeff watt was in charge of finding us all places to go that that built connections you know that was the idea uh not just to go any random spot so I was pumped. He, he, he said, you're going to go hunt with Brent. And I was like, I don't know who that is. And he was like, he wrote that book. <laughs> I was like, what book? There's a lot of books, Jeff. Anyway, when he told me what book I've got a copy, I've got two copies now, thanks to you, but I've got, a, had a copy here in my lodge on display. So I was very excited to talk to somebody who knew the area and, and had the, the research that you had done uh, living in your head somewhere. So I enjoyed just sitting in the, in the blind and talking. I think we shot a few geese and got some cool photos with Aaron, but I really just enjoyed talking about the area and uh, I love that spot where your farm is. It's, I've, I've got a lot of, I started duck hunting in Arkansas down there with, with Bill and those guys at five Oaks. So that whole area is very special to me. So it was, it was fun to be there. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh yeah, we're just right around the corner. So, um, yeah, I, I agree the same, same. And that just shows you this, this sport can be more about the, more than the pile picks and the, uh, you know, the heart you know the kill the harvest however you want to phrase it uh because that yeah we had a great time and had my older son in the blind that morning uh with us of course he was familiar with you you know he's of he's of the social media sweet spot you know in that uh sure. in the sport mid-20s so it was, it was cool for him too uh to kind of meet a quote-unquote celebrity so to speak and <laughs> and learn how to you know he's just a regular dude uh <laughs> likes to hunt ducks and and work with dogs so uh yeah it was a good morning for sure yeah good times Good times. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty cool weekend. Uh, I thought that was good of Sitka to kind of put those relationships together. We we took some guys hunting that otherwise wouldn't know, wouldn't have the opportunity to to share a blind with, and it was a cool experience all the way around. So kind of got a little bit of that on our side too, but a little envious of y'all's gadwall shoot. That sounded like a blast. Man, <laughs> when someone says, "Hey, do you want to drive an hour?" on Sunday after the festival when everybody's having a great time and shoot Gadwall. I mean, my first response was not really. No, I mean, no offense <laughs> to Grey Duck. I mean, they, I love eating them and I love shooting them. My dogs surely love retrieving them. But, and then Jeff and Brent both said, it will really be worth your time. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, okay, I can't say no to that, you know? And anyway, yeah, that was, I, I was, 
and actually Jared was awesome. I texted him all season and, and ended up, you know, I travel a lot um, through that corridor uh, for me and same for you guys, but I, I hunt a lot in the Midwest and getting up there is always a, tr- a trip through Little Rock. And I was texting him one night and uh, just decided I wasn't going to make it all the way home. And uh, he ended up opening up his, uh, one of his camp houses there. And I, I, you know, it's a perfect spot for me to let out. I've usually got 10 to 12 dogs with me. So I pulled in at maybe, I don't know, 9, 9 PM, let all my dogs out. I uh, was heading home from, uh, from hunting in the Midwest and uh, in Kansas and got a great night's sleep and woke up and finished the trip. So it, he was, he was super kind and turned out to be a really, really great connection as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he he told me that you stayed there, um, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty convenient to be right there, literally on I forty. I mean, easy on, easy off, way. and go. Yeah, I think I sent him six pictures of his road sign for his business this season, just passing by. You know, I, yeah. I drive out there all the time. I was like, hey man, here I am, and several other pictures of his trailers on the road. You know, once once he told me what his logo was, he was like, you'll see it everywhere now. And sure enough, I can't go to town without seeing one of his trailers. So yeah, I've, I've uh, it was a great spot. Really fun. Uh, that, to me, that's what we're talking about here. Is some of the stuff that makes duck hunting as special as it is just the connections, the friendships and relationships that, that come out of it. Uh, it's uh, to me, it's different than most other shooting sports. So that's pretty cool. But You've got a really interesting story, Barton. Like, I, I want to hear you talk about kind of your start and what what drove you to to want to get into dog training and, and how everything fell into place to to be as successful as you've been. Yeah, well, Brent mentioned his son being in a, a social media sweet part or, or sweet spot rather, um, and <clears throat> that's the part I probably is is easiest to just get out of the way because. I mean, I'm 36, about to be 37. And um, I mean, in elementary, middle school, my my parents bought us, you know, a, a Dell computer with dial-up network. We got our own phone line. Uh, you guys are not that much older than me. I'm sure you remember this, but oh yeah, you know, your my sister would get on the phone and kick me off the internet while I was in the middle of a <laughs> an AOL instant messenger chat with some girl from the school one county over, you know, and uh I just that whole era really my age is like the oldest ones that really like we we didn't have to be taught about uh AOL instant messenger or blogs or um MySpace when it came out like we just were there and so i credit that um to a lot of what's happened with southern oak and cornerstone is because for me i was i think i'm one of the for a while was one of the younger guys in kind of the dog game. And that was all just a natural language to me, you know, whereas my mentor was like, I guess I need to get a Facebook. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I mean, (laughs) you probably do, but um, somebody's going to have to run it for you. You know, old guy, you have no idea what you're doing. And um, so I had that sort of already going um, as far as just, I was always had a presence on social media. It was a natural thing to do. Having a nice website was just something that I thought was necessary and I was, I moved back to Mississippi and I'd never been duck hunting. Um, I grew up with a family that loved the the great indoors and I was into playing guitar and riding motorcycles, um, but never really hunting. And I had a Springer Spaniel by chance who was field bred just because I, I, I liked that breed and she had a, a field trial pedigree. And, um, 
a guy from my church, I was working at a church. I was a discipleship pastor at a church. A guy from my church asked if I wanted to go duck hunt. And that's always a really important piece of this puzzle for me, because as you guys, I'm sure have talked about a ton, you know, we need to be recruiting more people to, to, to duck hunt. Uh, we, we can't, you know, have enough children to reverse the, the, the downward trend and, and people buying waterfowl stamps. Um, and this guy invited me in my church. And when I tell you, I didn't look like a duck hunter. I mean, guys, look, you can, I was in a metal band before this <laughs> I had skinny jeans. I have a lot of tattoos. I had long hair and he was like, you want to go duck hunting? I was, that sounds kind of fun. And this guy really, uh, his name's Kelly Harmon. I've mentioned him a few times, but he, he took me to a local hunting store. I had my hunter safety card, uh, from high school, um, helped me buy my license, bought me a cheap pair of waders, um, let me borrow his shotgun and took me duck hunting. And, uh, I shot a couple ring necks and I, my, this guy's other guy brought a dog. The dog retrieved it. And I was like, I think my Springer Spaniel could do this. And, uh, the next time he invited me, we went, we went to some catfish ponds and literally sh- we had 15 people and we shot hooded mergansers to help the, the guy that was raising catfish. Cause apparently they were eating his minnows. And, uh, I brought my dog and she picked up, I mean, she was worn out from picking up mergansers, which thinking back now it's, it's an embarrassing start, but I was hooked. I was like, this is so much fun. Um, so the fast track version of that is I, I bought another Springer Spaniel. I met a guy who could help me train it. And he had Labradors that he had imported from the United Kingdom. And uh, I'd never really liked Labradors before because they were, in my opinion, kind of obnoxious. The ones I'd been around just, never really settled, you know, knocking you down to get out at the door, uh, whiny. And these dogs were very quiet, but they had a lot of drive. And I kind of fell in love with his dogs through this process. Uh, I was working in church ministry, so I didn't have a ton of, you know, extra income. So he would let me come help him on the weekends in exchange for teaching me to train my own dog. Uh, and I would shoot pheasants for him. So I learned to shoot better with him. Uh, and he just taught me everything that he knew about dog training over the course of about a year and a half, he became like a father figure to me. And, um, he had some really nice British Labradors. And I just said, look, if you ever breed this sire with either of these two females, I would love a, a shot at some of those pups and, uh, ended up getting a few puppies. Um, there's so many connections we could go into here, but I, one of them was a female that was just he kept telling me, you don't need to sell her. I was going to train them and sell them just to have a little bit of extra income. I'd really gotten into training dogs at this point. And, uh, he kept trying to convince me not to sell one of them. And I agreed. She was just really nice and, uh, did all of her health tests and had a litter of puppies and sold them all with a training contract. Um, and my buddy at church was like, Hey, if you're going to do this, and make money doing it. You need to have an LLC. You need to have a, a name, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's really how it all started. Just a, just a hobby. And so that when he told me that I, I built some social media pages for it, we named it Southern Oak and uh, built a website and it was, I mean, it was a hobby from that was 2012. And it was a really just a side hustle hobby sort of Honestly, guys, it was a way I could convince my wife that it was okay for me to spend money duck hunting. <laughs> it was just paid for my hobby and a little extra. Um, and that, it was really that until 2017 when it, it became full time. Yeah, that's a, that's a super cool story. Uh, just how that, 
it's it's always interesting to me how how people get into the sport and and what they evolve into and and you know Casey and I have you know kind of long family lineages uh in that way uh in and you're more of a kind of a self-made duck hunter you know by just some connections and getting taken and getting hooked on it and there's a lot of people in that in that camp too but uh let me ask you this on on the dogs okay so you you ran into a guy that had some British, you know, some, some dogs from, from over there, some British labs. Now you, now you've got a connection over there, uh, with, with some of the dogs that you bring back in, in, in work with. How, how did you find and discover uh, that conduit, uh, mm. over there? That's a great question. Um, yeah. So, to be totally transparent, I didn't know that like British labs were a thing when I got into this. I especially didn't know that I happened to live in like the Mecca. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, this That's area so is kind of known for for the place where all the British lab kennels is located and, and are located. And the reason that is, is that the several of the first people to bring Springer Spaniels and Labradors over here from the United Kingdom were all from this area. Um, Mr. Bill, who's at Mossy Oak, uh, down in West Point, um, Mike Stewart's father, uh, and Robert Milner, those guys were bringing over dogs in the late seventies, early eighties. And I had no idea that was a thing. I wasn't involved in the sport. I didn't know there were, there were, you know, I don't want to call it different breeds. They're all Labradors, but there were different cultures within the breed. And so when I first got into it, Mark, uh, Harefield, my mentor, who's now he says he's retired, but he can never fully leave the dog space. Uh, he, he, he introduced me to a couple guys and then, um, I got on social media and I found a couple of breeders from Ireland who had developed good names for themselves. You know, they had, they had either won the Irish championship or, and I learned the hard way. Some of them are just wanting to make a few bucks and rip off some Americans. Uh, and some of them really wanted to, find someone over here that they could have a conduit of, of supplying dogs to, because they're more valuable over here than they are over there. The, the shooting sports in the UK, especially in Ireland, that's a very small culture. Um, you know, I think people have this, I, I don't know what people think. I don't know. You know, you, you, you hear gun dogs in Ireland. I don't know what pops into people's minds, but I promise you it's smaller than whatever pops into your mind. Uh, it's a very small <laughs> pool. So Thankfully, during that time, it was all still relatively uh, new. I mean, there weren't a lot of people talking online about British labs. Uh, there were the established British Labrador kennels, um, and then there was me. And uh, my wife and I started talking, and I said, look, I'm, I really need to meet some of these people. So I ended up flying one of them over here uh, to my place. And really, he became the primary source of dogs for me uh, for Southern Oak Kennels for a long time. And still, I just brought a female over that he found for me. And he knows it. I mean, we walked walk through everything. Here's what I like. Here's what I don't like. Uh, they can have no health issues, you know. And he became a very, very dear friend. And we've hung out for the last decade. Um, and then I started just going over there um, to meet people in person. And little, little things would happen. I mean, I, I went over there and went to a field trial and stayed at, a, I don't know if you guys have been in the UK and experienced any of their, any of their shooting culture, but I went to a field trial and stayed at what they called a pub. Um, I mean, it's a hole in the wall restaurant in a 
city that's older than our country. You know, everything's older than our country there. You know, the wires are running on the on the outside of the wall because there's there's stone walls, you know. Um, and they've got maybe 12 rooms and um ended up rooming with these guys, took them to the bar uh and the pub and introduced them to the only American whiskey that they had there, which was Maker's Mark, and uh had a heck of a night and through a conversation just said, Hey, if it to one of them, I said, Hey, if you ever if you ever have a dog that you think needs to go, you know, if you're going to sell it or you're going to move it on and you don't want to find yourself competing against this dog in the UK in the future, I'd love, you know, first stab at, at buying it. Well, I've now bought four Southern Oak stud dogs from that guy. Um, just from a conversation we had at, at, at in person, you know, and, and we've hung out several times since, um, so yeah, I, I really started going over there and making friends um, with with people over there and and meeting them face to face and and I've since then really avoided the social media purchases. There's there are always British dogs for sale on Facebook from the UK to America, and I tell everyone there's a reason those dogs are are posted and available. Um, I'm more or less trying to buy the dogs that you have to talk someone out of, and um, it's yeah, it's just kind of grown from there. And, uh, there are a lot more people doing this now than, than when I started. So the, the competition is, is there to, to find the best stuff and bring it over here. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been fun and I love going over there. I actually sh- was shooting over there right before I met you, Brent, uh, maybe a week before I was with you, I was uh, shooting pheasants and grouse in Scotland. And, uh, the week after I shot with you, we brought four dogs over here just that I'd found on that trip. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, very cool. Uh, is that how? I mean, did you gravitate to British Labs because you you'd been exposed to one and you liked the makeup of that dog? And but did you even know at the time? Did you even know the differences between you know American bred, you know, kind of I what didn't. most people know? Yeah, yeah, I didn't know necessarily, and and I I really break it down into four categories. Um, there's obviously British field bred dogs. That's what what I do. These are dogs that have field trial pedigrees. So, you know, they're, they're the parents, grandparents have, have accomplished things in the UK. And we get asked all the time, why are you still importing? Why don't you just breed the stuff you've brought over here and create your own line? And I appreciate that thought. And we have done that in some ways. But for me, the type of work that is required to achieve accomplishments in the UK, specifically field trial accomplishments, is the type of work that I appreciate in a dog. So their evaluation system, in my opinion, is for what I want in a dog. This is just personal preference. It is a superior evaluation system for me. Um, so there's British field bred, and then there's American field bred, which is what a lot of people have here. Same thing, except for the accomplishments are happening here via HRC, AKC, um, or SRS. Um, several other outlying or outliers in the hunt test world or AKC white coat field trials, which really could be its own separate uh, entity. But those dogs are American field bred dogs. And there's a wide array of, of the, I mean, you see a lot of people say, well, my dog seems really British and that's usually a kind of a calmer, quiet American dog. And there are a lot of really nice American bred dogs. I just don't think that the evaluation systems are quite they're, they don't show you everything I want to see. For instance, I mean, how long is a, f- a dog at a finish test at the line? Uh, land and water series, you're going to be at the line a maximum of four minutes for each series. So I don't know how long that dog can sit still and be quiet. 
right? I just know they can mark three birds and run a nice blind. Um, and they can honor one dog for one retrieve, uh, really just until that dog is sent. In the UK, that dog's got to be on the line for a long, long amount of time. Off lead, you can't tell it no, you can't yell at it, you can't even really tell it to heal. It's just got to know it can't break. And if it breaks or uh, makes a single noise, you're out. Um, and then there's the English dogs, bench bred dogs. Those would be like the ones that look like a, a wine barrel with legs. Um, yeah. they've, they've really left the breed, you know, they've, they've gone on their own path. Uh, they're not functional, which is really sad. Um, we have nothing to do with those, but you, you do see people online saying, Oh, you breed English dogs. And it's like, eh, careful. Cause that, that usually is what they're referring to. Um, and then there's just backyard Labradors just, Hey man, my, my guy down the road had a lab and, and the pedigree doesn't really have anything on it. So within those four quadrants of, of kind of cultures of Labradors, um, I really gravitated toward, I mean, the one I was first introduced to, we're all kind of that way, right? Whatever we started with, we're usually going to wind up there. Um, but, um, through, through what I've done, I mean, I really appreciate American dogs. I'm friends with a lot of American lab trainers. Clark Kennington stayed here in this lodge two nights ago. He's a very close friend of mine and arguably one of the most successful HRC grand, you know, uh, trainers for, for that venue. Um, and I like their dogs a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, what they do with them is really cool. I just think for me, a dog to own as a, as a companion and a waterfowl dog, I've kind of found a niche that it's just what I prefer. So you'll never hear me talking negatively about, you know, American field bred dogs in general. Um, I, I would rather evaluate every dog specifically, but, just personal preference. This, this is the style of dog that I've gravitated toward. Well, I want to talk a little more about the evaluation process. Cause I think, uh, one of some guys from Purina a few weeks ago, when we were talking about, you know, as, as hunters, I, I think the, the test or the evaluation circuit, if you will, is, is grossly misunderstood. Like a lot of people will look at a dog that's a hunt test dog and then talk about field trials or he's going to do trials instead of tests. So there's, a, I think a lot of people have a very surface level knowledge of, of how dogs are evaluated. But that was interesting that you mentioned setting this on the line and kind of how long. So explain a little bit, maybe in some more detail, kind of on the English side, what mm -hmm. those tests look like in comparison to maybe a hunt test or even a field trial, for know, sure. white coat and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk about over there first. And most of it is going to be an upland scenario. They don't do wild fouling per se. Um, but there's usually going to be some element of water involved, whether it's a brook or a stream running through like a gully um, or even a, a pond or a lake where they're doing like a driven shoot around it. Um, you're going to have two styles of trials over there. One is walk up or walked up and the other is driven, uh, walked up is definitely my favorite. So you have a, a very similar to, if you went to South Dakota pheasant hunting with your buddies, you've got a long line that's going to include guns on the end, a gun in the middle, uh, helpers or stewards, or, or me, I'd be uh, a helper just carrying game. So I've got a bag that's full of birds by the end of the, of the walk. Um, and then in, on each side of the line, you have two dogs. Uh, two handlers and a, and two judges, and they're kind of walking together. And you're flushing up birds; they're being shot in real time. 
uh, and the judges deciding, you know, in order, which dog goes. And there's some cool elements to that. So if, if, if you're dog number one and, and you get sent on a long mark and your dog doesn't find it, uh, your dog, the judges are going to give you a certain amount of time to, to handle your dog and hunt your dog. And then they're going to ask you to bring it back. And then they're going to send dog number two on the same retrieve. Um, and if the dog number two doesn't find it, they're going to call three and four from the other side of the line over to where you are. And they're going to get each, uh, an attempt. And if none of the four find it, the judges are going to go look for it. If at any point, any of those finds it, the previous dogs are eliminated. It's called being eye wiped, um, which is pretty sweet. It's pretty, it's like knockout in basketball. Um, and then, you know, you're eliminated for things like, uh, I mean, even this year, uh, if you break, even if a dog takes two or three, there's no such thing as a controlled break over there. If your dog, is even being very rowdy at heel. They'll tell you, Hey, you know, thank you. You know, you're, you're no longer required. Um, <laughs> if your dog makes noise, you're out. If you're, uh, I saw a dog eliminated this year for just being slow coming back. And the judge was like, Hey, look, you know, the dog did the work, but we can't give this dog a win today and say, Hey, we think this is the dog that we would all love to shoot over. Um, in a driven shoot, you're going to be standing in line, very similar to that, but you're standing still while they flush birds out of a, usually like a hillside or a, a block of trees or timber. And you're going to have guns standing on pegs. This would be what most people, I think, like when people say a tower shoot, a European style shoot, I think that's what most people have in their mind. Oh, there's no tower. They're just coming out of the, you know, you've got what's called beaters, which are people with um, flags and, Cocker spaniels or Springer spaniels, kind of pushing their way through the woods, flushing these birds out towards the guns, um, and then your dogs really have to sit still. I mean, you'll you you will not see a dog sent through the whole drive unless there's a crippled bird. Um, so you'll sit still for 10, 15 minutes while dozens of birds are shot, and then the judges will just they're they're, they're literally sitting there with a, a piece of paper with some landmarks drawn on it, putting little X's where they knew birds have fallen. And then they're going to tell you, all right, Brent, you know, we got this bird right over here next to this tree, 20 yards down the hill into that cover. You know, that's your bird. Send your dog when you're ready. And you'll pick them up while the the drive is on pause while people rotate pegs. Um, so it's very much a real hunt. And I tell people over there, you're evaluating which dog is the best dog on a normal day's hunt. If you switch gears over to an AKC field trial, you're evaluating which dog is the most, which dog is the best dog on a remarkable set of retrieves. Like that, if you're talking about hunting, the retrieves you'll see in a white coat trial are the most, that's the retrieve of the season, right? Every one of them. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, your, your, your land series, you're going to have marks anywhere from 80 yards to 400 yards. Uh, your water series similar you're going to have a retired gun up the middle with a 10 minute swim i mean literally your dog can swim for 10 minutes with a crosswind um so that stuff is 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 pretty you know pretty remarkable there's a lot of pressure required to teach dogs to handle in that way um they don't i think evaluate a lot of the things that you and i would want on a i mean Brent, you and I sat in the A-frame with Ozzy and talked for an hour and a half, right? Yeah. Um, I want a dog that you forget he's there. Yeah. But exactly. I also want a dog that goes out really hard and comes back really hard and will will use its nose. I mean, over there in the UK, they're very big on evaluating a dog's nose. So 
they want to see the dog make the area of the bird and they're really judging how that dog hunts the area how does it use the wind how does it get in the cover you know that's huge for them there's a lot more in my opinion evaluation on the actual dog and less evaluation on the handler than there is over here um and I, i'm not knocking over here it's it's really i mean look my guys Corey, the one i mentioned in Pontotoc, he runs my dogs in hrc and uh, i mean it's it's a goal of ours with our stud dogs to put them through hrc so definitely not knocking it i just think over there when you see it it's like oh that's all of these qualities are things i could say i really want in a dog i want a very steady quiet dog i want a dog that has a um well over there they evaluate every single bird that comes back very strictly to see if the dog crunches the bird at all so having a natural soft mouth delivery is still a big thing over here It'll be a can of worms if I say this, I'm going to say it anyway, but over here, we've kind of eliminated that through force fetch. So these dogs are force fetched and we don't really know if they had a natural soft mouth uh, or if it's just the pressure that's taught them to hold properly. Um, and I have seen a lot of birds come back at a hunt test that um, they're not fit for the table. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're, they're chomped pretty good. And you see dogs holding on to birds and you got to rip them out of their mouth and stuff over there. If you, if you go to take a bird from a dog and it tries to pull it back away from you, you're out you know, see ya. Um, so anyway, I just think that evaluation system is, is for me, it's pretty neat. It's very traditional. I mean, if you've been any part of UK field sports, you know, they, they like things to stay. I mean, uh, it's so traditional that in 2018, we went to the IGL championships and the queen of England came, you know, I mean, it's, it's very, very rooted in their culture. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my, short-ish summary summary of uh some of the differences and and kind of yeah. why we've gravitated toward toward british labs for over 30 years Lowell real estate has been connecting land investors and outdoorsmen with sellers whether looking to invest in an income producing farm or recreational land the Lowell real estate team has the connections and the expertise to help they work with tracks of all sizes and specialize in agricultural timberland and recreational properties New listings are hitting the market almost weekly, so head on over to their website to learn more. www.lowerealestate.com Yeti. From the legendary hard coolers to the new barware series, Yeti has you covered. Or check out one of my favorite new products from them, the Loadout Series Go Box. Yeti. Built for the wild. Well, you know, a lot of, a lot of things you talk about. You know, I, we talked about it that day. I also am a, a British lab guy. So I have, this is my second one. And and some of those traits that you, you mentioned, and it's what they're known for are a lot of what I appreciate. Now I'm not doing, I'm not doing hunt tests, field trials, anything. I I just want my dog to be a great companion uh, year round at the lake, at the house, and then uh, be able to hunt the way we hunt and, and the, and the farm we hunt, which, you know, I've seen it, you know, it's not a really nice manicured farm. It's got, dog's got a, Dogs got to work, uh, especially on the duck side, um, and to be able to use that nose, like you mentioned, because uh, there's so many places those ducks can hide from them. Um, and so he, he, both the dogs I've had have been a great fit for for how I hunt. And um, I've had American dogs, and I don't have a problem with them. I just really gravitated to to these British dogs I got from a a longtime friend of mine that that uh, that has them here here in Arkansas. But uh, I kind of wanted. to kind of transition the dogs but it it all kind of ties together now you know if anybody's ever seen barton pull up at a an event or maybe seen him on the highway or at a hunt club you can't miss him because he drives this 
huge truck with this huge trailer of dogs. And you mentioned it earlier, you know, you're toting, you're toting 10 or 12 dogs around. Uh, and, and we talked about it a little bit in the blind that morning. Sometimes you're delivering dogs. Sometimes you're taking dogs that you've loaned out. I know we, we've got a mutual friend in Grant Weisenbaker. Uh, you know, you've done some stuff with Salt Plains and you get, you, you put some dogs with some guys to, to make sure they've got a, a good working dog for the season. Uh, kind of explain how this, because you know you, you meet some dog guys and they're they're dog guys they're not real necessarily social they're not they're kind of they like do- dealing with dogs they the humans are kind of down the list for them a little bit you've been able to build relationships um through the through the dogs uh, and it and it allows you to to hunt a lot of different places see a lot of different parts of the country and how you know Kansas does it different from Arkansas does it different from what you see in those shoots in Ireland Kind of talk about, um, you know, how that how that connectivity has worked for you, uh, and it's probably it's obviously part of your your personality. But um, pretty cool how you've built some of those relationships. And I mean, we've we've struck this up over just spending you know a couple of hunts together, uh, and now we're you know conversating here on a podcast, and and hope to you know every time you come back to Arkansas, I hope to connect again. But um, kind of talk about that a little bit, how dogs have kind of led you into these relationships because. Uh, you've you've got a now a huge network um, going all, all over the place. And- yeah, it's it's um it's the blessing I never saw coming from any of this. Um, but I mean, almost all of my very best friends uh, came from from this dog journey, and um, I never expected that. I mean, that's a very that's a strange thing. So you know, Grant is a great example. Love those guys. I got to hunt six days with them during that big freeze at salt plains outfitters in Oklahoma and Kansas. Um, Connor Reddick, you know, Connor's one of my best friends just celebrated his engagement new year's at wild wings, which is just up the road from your camp. Yeah. He and his dad have, uh, well, he has Lincoln and then his dad hunts one of my stud dogs. I kind of loan him, you know, we all laugh because when I left wild wings, the last day of the season, Bruno was sitting in the bed of my truck. He was like, I know, I know it's time <laughs> to go home. You know, like <laughs> life on the couch is over. Um, and you know, we've, we kind of, I want my dogs picking up birds. Um, I want to know that they can do the work and I'm, I've been, you know, we sell dogs. We had a litter go home this last Saturday. One went to Oregon, one went to California, one went to Pennsylvania, one went to Florida. They kind of went all over. And I want to know that they can do whatever the work that's required of them is going to be in those places. So I put the miles on the truck, man. And I'm, I'm, I am a dog guy, but I'm very much a people person. I'm an extrovert. I love making new friends. Uh, my wife's an introvert. So she always laughs. Cause I'm, I'm like, let's go make some friends over there. And she's like, let's just sit here at our table, you know, and be <laughs> quiet. Um, but through this journey, you know, I've been able to travel some cool places, hunt the dogs. And I mean, this season, especially, you know, we would have a timber hunt and then the next day I would hunt a river and the next day a dry field and then the next day a marsh. Um, and I want to know, can the dogs, can they do it all? Uh, because if they can't do it all, then my question is, why are we breeding that dog? Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been really great. The relationships have been, have been phenomenal. Uh, the friendship cool. And the, I mean, overall the culture, in the hunting community, I mean, there's a lot of, you see a lot of negative stuff online. You see a lot of people 
bashing especially the dog world i guess it's really everywhere but you know dog over whatever dogs you run or shotgun shells or camo you wear whatever it is you see a lot of that online but my experience when i've gotten in person with with these people even people that i mean i have friends that are like i said american dog guys is it's a very fun culture and uh people are really kind in general and and i've made some really cool friends uh all across the spectrum uh of the the waterfowl community i'm i'm super thankful for that for sure yeah it's even running into a, a few country music stars too i've, I've seen yeah you want to know something funny about that 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 guy that took me uh duck hunting kelly Harmon, the first time i ever went duck hunting we had permission on a spot and another guy had permission on a spot and we both showed up and that's the guy that had the dog and kelly was like let's just hunt together so we did that guy ended up becoming a training buddy of mine um boarded the first dog first labrador i mentioned maggie boarded her while i went on a mission trip to honduras and we became very good buddies through him i met his brother who uh runs his well his wife and their family has love one charity uh which is a mission in uganda that's out of nashville they asked if i would come run dogs for their charity uh several years ago i did where i i had a puppy not an actual puppy but a future puppy i never do actual puppies at any type of charity auction but it's because i don't want someone to get hosed and come home and wake up the next day and think what did i do why do i have this puppy (laughs) i'd rather say hey in the future you can have whatever whatever litter you want but we we do want to support certain charities so uh that charity the puppy was purchased by thomas rett whom i'd never met before and then he said hey i'd love to go duck hunting one day with you and we went duck hunting and we've been i mean he's one of my best friends on earth uh so all because that guy invited me to go duck hunting i met this dude in the back of a neighborhood on a a pond um you know the those connections are always that they blow my mind um so yeah we've we've and we took the the family that started that charity we took them hunting at john roush's place um this past season which was really special it was really cool to see um so yeah it's been those connections have been really fun and um yeah, I like you. I laughed about your your son make you making the joke about people. My friends joke around about me being famous, which is hilarious because it's the duck hunting world, <laughs> like famous for right. like fifty <laughs> people. Um, <laughs> that, you know, and then you meet people that are really famous, and then you realize, hey, that's a super normal dude. Um, and yeah. then you get them together with people that no one's ever heard of, and everyone has a lot in common, and. Uh, Everyone puts their pants on the same way. And uh, yeah, that all those connections have been really, really fun for me. It's, it's been a, an incredible ride for me and for my wife. We've, we've got, you know, TR's wife and Bethany are good friends. And we've, we've, we've made some really special family friends through, through this whole, I mean, through dogs, who would have thought. Yeah. I think that's great that you, you mentioned all that uh, and the connections and relationships, you know, you mentioned social media and kind of how, being of the right age, right place, right time, you were able to take advantage of that and really catapult yourself uh, or, or use that, you know, to market yourself or reach more people and have a bigger audience, you know, but there's, there's a lot of stuff that kind of goes on today. Uh, you're old enough to remember, you know, cola wars uh, when those were going on when we were kids, but I, I feel the same way kind of about what I call camo wars. Now, you know, there's this yeah. huge movement about you wear this or you wear that, this one's better than that. And it's, 
it really kind of preaches a divide in our culture and it's definitely present on social media. It's maybe somewhat in person, but a lot less when you actually get out there and meet people and spend time with them. So I appreciate your stories and what you said there about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I'm a Enneagram type eight fairly. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be controversial if we need to be and, and happy to, <laughs> to argue with anyone just for the sake of it. And it's my, kind of me and my flesh, but uh, truthfully over the last several years, I've really, really had a desire to build more bridges than to burn them. And uh, if, if we're burning bridges over what camo pattern we're wearing, and obviously I'm a super loyal Sitka gear guy. I've been working with them since 2012. Um, that's my favorite company in the outdoor industry and I love them to death, but that doesn't mean we can't go. I hunted with people wearing all different kinds of stuff this year. And uh, we all, we all shot and missed ducks together and shot and hit ducks together and had a blast. So if you can't see past that stuff, I mean, we realistically, I'm sure you guys will agree with this. And, and this ties really in with the, the what I mentioned about the UK over there, they're, they're progressively culturally speaking, they're a little further down the road than us. And in a lot of ways, they're further down a road that I do not want us to go down. It's very difficult to own a gun. It's very difficult to get into shooting. Um, there are a lot of barriers to entry uh, over here. There are not as many barriers to entry, but it's not getting any easier. Um, mm -hmm. And when you see the, the other guy in the blind across the highway, wearing different stuff, driving a different boat, shooting different shells as your enemy, that type of infighting is never going to help us. Um, you know, the only real enemy we have are people that want to shut down hunting people that don't want us out right. there. That's who, I mean, we should really be united. Hey, you like shooting ducks. Me too. You know what? Do you want your grandkids to go hunt ducks on a, on a piece of property over here? Well, so do I. So that's, I mean, what a great common interest we have. And if we decide we want to fight because you, you use a different shaped dog whistle than me, then that's, that's, that's <laughs> so that should be beneath us. You know, we should, we should be striving to be un, united in, in the fact that we love this sport and we want to see it passed down to our kids and grandkids and, and all that. That's uh, excellent points. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you look at shooting sports as a whole and there's a, you know, a, a ton of anti-gun people, uh, the waterfowl subculture is even smaller. Like, like you mentioned, you know, being famous amongst 50 people, there's not a lot of us. Uh, we do not have room to, to look at someone else as our enemy. So appreciate yeah. those comments. Yeah. Well, that, and that's, that's definitely where we are in the sport too, is, is we're kind of reached this point, you know, the last handful of seasons for, for, for a lot of people have been tough, uh, for, for whatever reason. And I, I, it almost feels like there's more of a, a, uh, finger pointing blame game going on versus some inward looking. And I think the duck hunting community, given how small it is, I mean, you're talking a, a million duck stamps sold in the entire country. Um, you know, it's a pretty small audience and that number gets smaller every year um, as people drop out of the sport and, and everything else. But I think we benefit, you know, from a, from a hunting community, waterfowling community to start looking inward a little bit too, and, and eliminate some of these blame games that, you know, what camo you wear, what boat you run, what shell you shoot, all the things you said and seeing how we, we can each, you know, men fences, build bridges, whatever they are. So we're all pulling on the same end of the rope. Um, cause that's, what's going to benefit the sport long run. And that's, 
I appreciate someone that's got, uh, you know, your level of influence, whether you, you know, laugh about it or not, you do, um, and, and appreciate that take versus a take that's really, it's, it's about me. It's about how many ducks I kill. It's, you know, those kind of things. Um, I think we'd all be better for it taking a, an attitude like Casey and I both have, and, and you obviously now uh, have shared that. And I, and I could get gather that from the day we spent, uh, the two days we spent hunting, that uh, that's where you're at too. And we need a lot more of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think we do. And I mean, even like with you, I mean, you you were relatively apologetic about not shooting a bunch of speckabella geese until you quickly realized Aaron Davis and I don't care. Like we we yeah. were not we were not we were out there to make relationships and and capture some cool. Stuff. I mean, we killed enough geese to make one of my favorite photos of the season is Ozzy in, in the blind looking up, you know, with you behind him. That's a great shot. Yeah, it was a great um, shot. And we traveled the whole season together. Aaron and I did doing a project for a lot of brands and we shot photos for those brands. And the deal was, Hey, you can't send us a shot list. We're shooting it as we use it. Like this is going to be the real deal. Um, we're, we're getting out and using this stuff, whether it was, you know, boss or Sitka gunner, Yukonuba, some really cool stuff. And we had a blast doing it, but I didn't shoot a lot. I filmed a lot on my cell phone and put it on my Instagram story this year. And, um, it was crazy. I, I, like I was at my gym, my local gym, and this lady came up to me and she was like, I just love following that story. I don't even know this lady's name. And uh, she was like, those dogs in that cold river, that was incredible. And I was like, first of all, why in the world are you watching that? <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> that, I, guess, I guess her son has a dog and hunts anyway. Um, but one of my goals was to put out there as much content of what it's really like hunting ducks in different parts of this country this year in hopes to just draw some interest from from people um because i would love for more people to get into it uh and to do anything we can to try to draw i mean that's it's really i really have kind of three different hobbies that i that i participate in duck hunting being one of them and my my natural inclination as a human is to try to bring on as many people as possible it drives some of my friends crazy. Um, but I'm like, Hey, the more, the merrier, let's do anything we can to get people into this. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really fun this year. I was not focused on killing a lot of ducks. Uh, it was by far the best waterfowl season I've ever had, uh, just by nature of being the right place at the right time. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, hopefully there's some people out there. Maybe there's someone even listening to this. It's not a, not a duck hunter would love for you to get into it and happy to connect you with people in your area that hopefully could get you into it uh, and get you out there hunting. Well, and, and what you're talking about in case and I are in agreement and you, but you know, we, you see it all the time on social media and there is a faction and I think it's part of the, the rallying cry around going back to the 30 day, three duck season is to push some of these people out of the sport, which is, so, such a wrong uh, line of thinking, not connecting the dots that license sales, stamp sales, support of conservation organizations, all those things, the sport relies on it. And if mm-hmm. when that money dries up, you know, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service can't do some of the things they do. And what's going to mm-hmm. suffer? Ducks are going to suffer. And when ducks suffer, we suffer. Um, so that support, we need a stronger base than this dwindling you know million now we're below a million 
Uh, I mean, mm. some states, you know, we've had Lee Just on here before talk about Minnesota and how, I mean, their numbers have absolutely plummeted. And Minnesota used to be a top tier state to hunt ducks. Right. Um, and it's and it's not anymore. And people have dropped out of the sport left and right to where it's just shriveled into almost nothing. Yeah. On all that history. It's kind of scary to think about and to, to have that logic that, man, I hope all these people get out of the sport. I hope the season's, you know, the season suck. So people give it up and they'll sell their boats, sell their dogs, sell their guns. It's yeah. so counterintuitive to, to getting the ducks back where everybody's going to like it again. I watched a great video on this for elk yesterday that my buddy Sloan Brown shared on his social from a guy that was basically talking. He went through all the numbers of, of, how much money comes into the state of Colorado from uh, an out-of-state elk hunter. And for every out-of-state elk hunter, I want to say it was like 15 in-state elk hunters had to purchase a tag to make up for one out-of-stater. And uh, basically the same thing, like, hey, your logic is super flawed here. If you think they're the problem, you know, it's it's not. And But I, I think social media influences this. Um, I had this conversation with Grant and Brenton at Salt Plains and um, – with uh, Josh and JD over at Falco this year, um, you know, social media is the highlight reel, and you see a lot of posts from from private clubs or outfitters of just absolutely duck smashing, you know. And then you got guys hunting public, or they're in a, a lease that maybe doesn't, you know, maybe they have a couple great days, but most of the season's a struggle. And then you also see the differences in flyways and in states. Um, and I think a lot of what you're talking about, you hear specifically from Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, and Western Tennessee. Um, and there is a lot more pressure there. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just, I think if based on social, my perception is based on social media, you now see, you see so many photos of people just smashing in, let's say, Kansas, um, which for a while was unheard of, right? I mean, when I first started going to hunt in Kansas in 2012, I would tell people I was going to duck hunt in Kansas and they were like, do you mean deer hunt? Like there are there ducks in Kansas? Like, no, it was relatively unknown uh, to the social media world, but now it's, it's out there obviously, you know, but it's not what you think. I mean, over where the Falco guys are, we were talking about this. There might be four groups hunting in a County and there's tons of birds, but four groups in a whole County. Whereas you know, Brent, where you are, you know, it's shooting light because you hear the first six group shoot, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, there's a lot more pressure there. And so I think that sometimes those opinions are skewed a little bit by how much uh, perceived killing there is because of social media, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I think it causes maybe a little jealousy and maybe people to have a misconception about how many people are hunting in certain areas. And, Minnesota is a great example. I mean, you don't see a ton of stuff coming out of Minnesota on social media anymore when you used to. Um, and duck numbers are falling there. And who who's really talking about that? You know, everyone seems to be focused on Arkansas, Louisiana. Hey, it's you. It's you guys' fault that the ducks aren't getting here. It's you know, whatever. All the tired arguments that you see on on social media. It's the out-of-staters fault. It's this and that. And all those arguments seem to be super short-sighted. And I wish there was a way to, and I think some of the folks like Osborne and them are really helping with this, but I wish there was a way to really see like, where are all the ducks? Where are the most people hunting? Lee loves talking about pressure. And I think he's totally right about that. I mean, pressure has a massive, massive impact on what ducks are doing. 
and how easy or not easy it is to difficult it is to shoot them. Um, and so, yeah, that was a bit of a rant, but I think social media can really skew the, the conversation either good or bad. Um, and in reality, I don't know. You guys tell me, I don't think that I think we're in a down year. Sure. But I don't think the numbers are all that different than they've always been. I don't think there's more ducks in Kansas than there used to be. Um, not by a large amount. I just think there's more people posting about shooting them on social media now. Um, yeah. I'd love to hear you guys' yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah. I've been thinking about it a lot this year. Yeah. Well, we, we kind of touched on that on our, on our duck capital episode, plug our own podcast here, but you know, we went through harvest numbers and kind of evaluated that. You hear about, oh, Oklahoma or Kansas is the new Arkansas. But you go look at the harvest data and what they're actually killing, and it's not. I mean, it just the numbers are there. It doesn't support that argument. What you see on social media looks, you know, absurd, but right. it's a highlight reel, just like you said. You know, it's not uh, – the pressure is not the same. And I like that you, you were talking about pressure. I know Lee preaches that, and we do too, standing there yesterday talking with a biologist – and we've got white fronts flying over us 40 yards high. You know, they haven't been shot at in two weeks, and they are tame in comparison to what they were during season. Yep. Same thing with the mallards. I mean, landing all the way around us there, we're standing there next to a side-by-side talking. And you can tell after two weeks of not being shot, they're comfortable being around humans. Yes. Pressure is uh, low population habitat, obviously, and then pressure. I mean, you, you apply the kind of pressure that they get in Arkansas, and they get very smart, very yeah. leery, and very tough to kill. Yeah, it's unbelievable how much easier it is to kill them. And I'm, I'm, I'm not down. I mean, my, one of my favorite places on earth to hunt is at Wild Wings. Um, I mentioned that recently in an Instagram story. I love shooting them in the woods with those guys. Um, but man, when you, we sat up on the, the Niniskal and the, the big arc uh, when, when that freeze happened. And um, I mean, obviously you guys locked up, uh, but, and it was much colder up there. I think the real feel, the first and second day that we were on the river was around 15 or 17 below zero, but the birds had kept a chunk of the river open and it had some good current in it. And, uh, it was a very interesting hunt for dogs. Cause I didn't want them in that water very often. So i ended up moving about 40 yards up river and those ducks were, they were desperate, right? You know how ducks act when it gets that cold, mm-hmm. they're different, you know, but there's just not a lot of pressure. And it was the first really the first four days that Kansas opened back up after their long January split. And man, they might as well have been park ducks. I mean, they didn't care. I'd be standing out there handling my dog on a blind retrieve and have to duck down. Cause 10 of them are just bombing the decoys. They just didn't care. You know, they don't know. And that's all pressure related. And so when you see uh, guys killing them in the dry field in Oklahoma and Kansas, we had a lot of those good shoots too. Um, you know, flip a few spinners on, put them in the field, halfway hide yourself, and you can smoke them up there. There's so much less pressure. They, those ducks, they may have migrated two or three seasons through the central flyway and never got shot at. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fun conversation to have. I'm glad you guys are having it. I'm, I've seen a lot of your stuff on social. Um, a lot of the tracking we're doing now with the backpacks, figuring out where ducks go because of pressure and weather and all that. I think that's, that's going to be helpful. I think overall for the, for, for folks to have a better understanding of what's really going on with, with ducks. Well, for sure. Cause we all, I mean, we all got our theories and these, these transmitters are starting to either prove or disprove those theories. You know, a couple of years ago, 
the the hot topic was you know the flyway has shifted west. Well, that was the it coincided with the emergence of social media growing for some of these outfitters. Exactly, and people were starting to see it. That we we've talked about on the show before. We've had guests on here uh, that that hunt Kansas every day. Uh, they've always killed ducks. It, 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 this isn't something new. Um, and it's also, we've talked about, uh, and some people may have not listened to these earlier podcasts. So that's, that's the only reason I'm repeating it. Um, because you know, our audience is much bigger than when we talked, when we talked about this in some of our early episodes, but it's also apples to oranges comparing Kansas and Oklahoma to Arkansas. Cause I've done it. I've hunted with the guys at salt plains. Those guys get in a truck and drive the countryside and, and they'll find ducks. You could drive the countryside in Arkansas and find ducks, but guess what? You're not getting permission Somebody's to hunt there. <laughs> yeah. Somebody oh, already we, owns it or leases it. We uh, have had this conversation so many times up there. I'm so glad you said it. That is, I mean, that is something that, you know what you don't see on social media? Anyone posting what time they woke up and how far they drove from the lodge. Yeah. I mean, we drove an hour. You might, yeah, you might drive an hour, hour and 20. Yeah. We drove an hour into Oklahoma from, from Salt Plains' camp. Um, and and that's just, I mean, imagine if Kaysen could take go every day and drive all four corners of Woodruff County. He he would be able to post daily picks and hunter satisfaction type stuff uh, for his clients every day. Yeah. Damn near every day. Uh, and and that's, so that's, that's kind of what, that's, that's where the, the reality versus, and, and, you know, we had we had some sluggish duck hunts when I went to Salt Plains, and and uh, but uh, you know, the group of us that went, we're all hunters. We know that's how it happens. We we don't sure. ex- expect it. It's it's hunting, not killing. Um, so, uh, but it, to think that it's it's every day, but your odds definitely would go up if you had if you could roam in Arkansas like you can there, and find a feed or find a, a you know a, a pond or whatever they're using and go knock on a door and get permission. And be very likely to get that permission. And very likely, you know? yeah, yeah. So, it's just apples to oranges, uh, I, and I, I, it, it doesn't need to be an envy thing. Other states need to be able to shoot ducks too. It doesn't need to be yeah. just Arkansas uh, yeah. that does them. But you know, so I kind of circle back to the transmitters. There it hasn't been a flyway shift. There's no transmitter data, or no banding data that backs any of that up. Right, uh, none. You can ask any scientist. Uh, they just have their ducks. We have our ducks and, and the hunting scenarios and style and, and how it's done is different and it's great. Yeah. That That's what creates variety in the sport and, and why it's kind of cool to travel sometimes. And I mean, you get to do it. You hunt all over the place. I love uh, it. And people always ask, I did a Q and a on the way home from the last trip. I'm actually, I'm actually leaving uh, tomorrow to go to Oklahoma to shoot little geese. So we're, we're shooting lessers. Um, hopefully this reverse migration has been insane. So hopefully there's a few still there. Um, but my son and I do one last trip out to Falco every year with a lot of our friends. And, uh, so yeah, I was on my way home from there last time and, uh, everyone asked the same question. What's your favorite? If you had to pick one and I truly cannot do that. I I've thought about it. I love shooting them in the timber, but then you'll get in a dry field and, you know, 500 ducks work your decoys and you're like dang that's yeah. really awesome then you get in a river and it kind of feels like timber but there's a lot more ducks anyway it's hard for me to pick um very difficult it's all it's all fun and all different and I'm, I'm i feel very fortunate that i get to experience uh you know all the varieties that i do 
Yeah, it's great that we don't have to choose. You know, like I, people ask that question all the time. What's your favorite? Like, man, I don't know. You, you give me early season white fronts. You give me a, a great teal hunt in the field or, or mallards in the woods. Like, I don't want them to pick. I, I love all of it. That's it. This migration, I know you guys have probably talked about it um, way too much. Uh, you know, it, I'm sure you're probably tired <laughs> of talking about it. But uh, um, when it got really cold, uh, I think that was January the 13th. Or maybe yeah, the thirteenth up 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 in the central. I think it hit here maybe the night of the thirteenth, going into the fourteenth. Um, I was in Oklahoma. I I cut. I was supposed to go to Nebraska. The camera crew crew called and said, "Hey, it's too cold." Uh, so we postponed Nebraska, and I I stopped over at Falco. Um, and we I helped helped with clients and hunted with their clients, and and they let me run my dogs, and and we hunted dry fields two days in a row. And this was mid to late January. I thought about this casing because you just mentioned teal in the field. And we shot the mess out of teal. We killed a lot of mallards too, but we had five, 600 teal bombing decoys in a dry field mm. the second and third week of January in Oklahoma. And I was like, man, I have never heard of this. I mean, you just <laughs> yeah. don't see them that late up there. It was bizarre, really bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, two of some of my favorite wing shooting. I mean, it's, they're just, they're a blast to shoot. Definitely are. Yeah. I think I told you, uh, you know, we, we shot, I'll name a dabbling duck. We shot it on dry ground during when everything was locked up at our, yeah, you told me that that's bizarre. It was nuts. It was nuts. They just, they would go where the geese were. Uh, yeah. Speckle buddies are loaded up in that bean field and they were just going, I guess where they thought there must be something to eat there. So let's go there. We can't, we can't touch down in any water anywhere. And they would just come in and land right in the middle of the spec decoys. Dang. Uh, it was they wild. Get desperate, don't they? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's bizarre to me how hardy these birds are. Um, you know, it's, it, I mean, I, we shot mallards, uh, and Canada geese in Nebraska, uh, January 25th and 26th or 24th and 25th. And, uh, I mean, it had been, 20 below zero, you know, very little water available. And it's like, you find these birds and you're like, why didn't you rascals migrate? Like you, (laughs) it's like, there's so many of them. They're like, I'm staying here until I just can't because I'm going to die. And that's, that's always mind blowing to me. And then you have the ones that every year they're like, all right, I'll be the first to leave. See ya. I'm going to Arkansas. Um, I guess your your white fronts, you know, they're like, all right, it's time. Yeah. It's October. We're heading down. And then you have ones that just hold on. And it's like, how are they finding food? How are they finding water? It's so cold. They're coming in your decoys and you shoot them and you, the dog brings it back and their feet are completely frozen solid with ice. Um, that's, that's always, it blows my mind. Yep. Amazing. Amazing birds for sure. Uh, we've, we've seen all kinds of crazy instances of, of things they'll do to, to survive uh, during times like that when you would think, man, I'd be, I'd be at the Gulf of Mexico or you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and they just, they just tough it out. Um, and, and a lot of times, like you said, to their detriment, uh, yeah. a lot of them, you know, there's a, there's a group of them that don't make it, uh, or body For health sure. going into it and they don't see the other side. Um, but tough, tough bird. Well, there's one thing I did want to mention. Um, I know you're up, we don't have too much time left, but you mentioned it early on, uh, Brent, you talked about, um, training your dog with cornerstone after your dog had been sent off. Um, and man, this is another one of my favorite times of year because the season's over. 
my dogs are pretty loose. I don't know about you guys, um, but hunting is not great for training. <laughs> you know, I mean, no, you know how it is. You send them on that yeah. blind, and you're about to get the perfect whistle stop and a great cast. And then somebody says birds and you just sit down and you're like, well, whatever happens, happens, you know, and that all that adds up over a season. So anyway, um, we're, uh, w- you know, for Cornerstone Gundog Academy, uh, that's the online learning platform that my friends, uh, Keith and Josh and I created back in 2017. Um, we're, we're doing some stuff for specifically for, you know, spring tune up postseason tune up. Uh, I did a little course that will be available. You'll see it on social media. Um, that's free. Um, that's essentially just, hey, here's some here's some ideas to work through. Maybe, maybe your dog started breaking. Maybe you you know your whistle stops are a little off, and whistle stops are maybe optional at this point. Uh, um, uh, casting, delivery, recall, that sort of stuff. So that'll be available coming this week um, on social media. And even if you plan to send your dog off, like like Brent said, they're not they're not robots. You know, every season they need tuning up and um, I get dogs sent to me every fall that obviously spent the whole summer sitting on a couch eating Doritos and uh, <laughs> they need a lot of work, you know, and um, yeah, so that is a, that's been a fun part of my journey um, is, is seeing people find success and training their dogs. Even if they used a pro trainer, um, you, you still need to do drills and keep that dog in check and in shape and uh, especially after the season fixing some of the stuff you saw during the season and then in the fall when the weather starts to get cool you know getting them tuned up and in shape for the season um just want to encourage anyone out there that has a dog you know it's a great way to stay outside it's a great way for me to at least continue my time outdoors with my kids and um selfishly i i I love being outside so when the season ends i'm always sad but i'm also like hey we go right into training season so uh, I, I enjoy that. And hopefully you guys can find some time to get out there and work your dogs as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I, and I, I think it, that cornerstone platform is great. So if, you know, somebody listened to the show and I thought it was great for every met Barton. So it's not like I'm, uh, blowing smoke, uh, just because he's on the show. Um, cause it's, it's really good. You guys do a really good job of, of explaining it to, a, I mean, I've had, this is my third dog, um, all really good hunting, hunting companions, all that. But I always learn something, uh, and something I'm doing wrong. Uh, it's usually not the dog's fault. It's usually, usually my fault. So, uh, I, I encourage people to check that, that platform out. Cause it's something you can do and you don't have to send your dog. You know, a lot of people are hesitant to send their dog off and I, I don't know. I don't know what I do. If my dog was gone for, you know, a month, two months, three months, however long they'd be gone. Uh, so this allows you away and, and you have a more vested, interest and connection with the dog too because you're you're doing it not relying on someone else so pretty cool idea um that uh, i'd encourage people to check out i appreciate it yeah well bart man this was a, a great episode i'm glad we we kind of wandered all over the place but you know we talked beforehand that we'd we'd love to do that um i know you get to talk about dogs all the time uh, and that's your that's your expertise but but all the things you get to see and the people you meet and, and, and some of your takes on the, the industry, the sport, I think, uh, I think that was all really good stuff. And, and we're uh, really appreciative of your time coming on the show. Well, I appreciate you guys having me, Brent and Kaysen, and uh, what you guys are doing. I've uh, listened to a couple of these, and they're, they're really fun. And I think they're a breath of fresh air for waterfowl industry. And, uh, you know, hopefully the more 
folks in, in the industry can gain a little education and be entertained at the same time, I think is always helpful. So I'm super happy to be on here, happy to do it anytime and uh, excited to see what what the podcast has for you guys in the future and hopefully excited to share a couple hunts with you guys at some point next season or or whenever in the future whenever that might might be yeah for sure for sure definitely uh we'll circle back to, to something on the podcast we'll pull you in and then uh yeah definitely hope to to share a blind again and uh maybe we can run into a bunch of speckle bellies not just a few we'll run into a bunch next time <laughs> they're a lot of fun yeah for sure you guys for sure you'll have to let me tag along next time yeah, well, yeah, we were we were going a million different directions. Watt had, Watt had people driving all the way up to his place uh, from Stuttgart uh, that weekend, so uh, we were all oh, yeah. kind of scrambling. That was, that was a busy weekend, but a really good one for our friends at Sitka. They had uh, a lot of success with everybody in town, so it was cool to be a part of that. It's funny, Brent, as much as we talk and do all this and, and all that, uh, and even tried to band geese together, you and I have never actually hunted together, so we had to make that happen someday. That's true, that's true. Uh, one day one day it's it's kind of hard to pull either one of us off our own (laughs) own farms yeah pretty pretty busy during the season yeah that's for sure all right guys well we're gonna wrap this one up uh you know tell all your friends about it and and hopefully we keep gaining our listener base uh we'll be bringing on some new sponsors here uh maybe by the time this episode comes out they'll get our get their scripts to us but uh, added some more sponsors and and uh, really appreciate of all the things they do. We appreciate all y'all listening. Of course, you can check us out at www.thestandardsportsman.com and on social media at The Standard Sportsman. We'll catch you next time. Thanks. Light boots. The lightest pair of knee boots you're ever going to find. Weighing in at just 13 ounces each. Putting on a pair of light boots is truly a jaw-dropping experience. 